No, 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 no. It's not like that. It goes, it goes. Dink, 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 dink. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is the show. This is the show. Mindfulness of Doom. Welcome to Mindfulness of Doom, a weekly podcast about life, peaceful living, and existential dread. You're not lost. Everyone's faking it, and the purpose of life is, uh, enjoy the show! Welcome everybody to episode 16 of the Mindfulness of Doom podcast. My goodness, we have been going for 16 episodes, that is quite an accomplishment. We have a special guest on the show today, his name is Luke Pascal, and he works for an organization called UAC, Universal Aid for Children, and he's here to share about the doom of relationships and all of the muddy emotions and thoughts that get in the way. But before we get to that, we've got a couple of announcements. I'm excited because I have been designing mindfulness-based t-shirts, and they are selling a lot more than I was expecting. I'm actually really surprised. I've sold eight t-shirts so far in the last week, and I've yeah, it's actually really incredible. Really? Because yes. last I heard, you had sold one, and I was excited and, and supportive of the, of the fact that you'd even sold one. Right, so that was a week ago, and I have now sold a total of eight, and they're really cool. You can check them out. They, are, they can be found at shop.innersensei.com, and I invite you to share them and play with them and have fun and purchase one if you enjoy them. There will also be a link on the Mindfulness of Doom Facebook page to the shop in case you're interested in a Mindfulness of Doom t-shirt. Yes. And if you have been a longtime listener of the podcast and you appreciate what we're doing, please check out our Patreon page. You can find us at patreon.com slash mindfulnessofdoom and consider contributing as little as $1 per month to help keep our podcast going. We love doing this, and we do it for free out of the love of mindfulness and death for whatever reason we enjoy doing that. Go ahead and say it. I love Doom. Yeah, Doom is pretty cool. So if you have been following the podcast and you enjoy what we do, consider becoming a contributor, and there are several benefits that come along, which you can find also on our Patreon page, and we put a number of painstaking hours creating videos and extra content and these podcast episodes for your enjoyment and your potential enlightenment thank you for being a part of our community hey brian uh, where's your head at man i'm hey, seeing you yeah man uh you know the other night my wife and i we just celebrated our four-year anniversary we went out to one of those really fancy local vegan dinners at a very hipster location in winwood and it was pretty cool I've been doing this intermittent fasting thing where I'm only eating one meal a day, and I was kind of excited to try a variety of food, and then I found that every course that they brought out was really well decorated, it was beautiful, they were on these huge plates, but they were also the size of my thumb, and I was very hungry after I had spent $65 on my meal ticket. piece of lettuce? It kind of, there was, you know, a couple of little turnips and like some shaved cauliflower and a little bit of sauce and... There was one that was, uh, it was a soup, but it was more like a... Like, like a thimble? A, it was Full a of thimble soup. of soup, and it, they had these little, um, these little sustainable, sustainably sourced wooden spoons that didn't have any depth to them, so you would like be scraping soup onto this 
spoon that could not hold liquid and I was spoon was just totally flat yeah so for me it was it was more of an exercise in mindful eating I was appreciating the flavors and I was being present with the meal and I was vegans have really got to get their act together like I mean what do you mean these vegans these vegans (laughs) no they're also skinny they've got portion sizes are ridiculous like I mean fine if you want to eat vegan go vegan great but Come on, at least give them some food. No, they need some meat not, on their bones. No, but that's not what it, it had nothing to do with vegans. It was a, it was the stereotypical fancy dinner where it was all about the French? artistic presentation of the food. Uh. No, it was a, actually a really great chef. I don't remember the name of him. I'm sorry, but he came all the way from uh, from North Florida to do this dinner for all the way from North Florida, Florida. You know. all four hours of distance. <laughs> For me, it was I stereotyped it as one of those fancy dinners where it was all about the presentation and the artistic expression of the food, mm-hmm. and not so much about eating a meal to be satisfied. Which for the last two months of doing my intermittent fasting, I've been eating to fulfill a, a hunger and a nutritional need. Mm-hmm. So I'll be sitting and eating enough for two meals within one sitting. Uh, in this meal, this was the first meal that I had actually gone out for within that time period. And I realized that I just need to continue cooking for myself and doing what I need to do. And when I got home, I immediately went into the refrigerator, reheated the leftovers from the previous (laughs) night, and had a huge bowl of lentils over rice. I made some avocado toast. I made a smoothie. Uh, I must have pumped in about 1,500 calories after spending $65 on a meal ticket. That was just for myself. But did you enjoy it? I did in some way. It was it was an experience, but I used to be I used to consider myself a foodie. I've since let go of that identity, uh, <laughs> much to Naomi's distaste, because she continues to be a foodie. And if you look at her Instagram account at Miss Sustainable, you will find that she posts mostly about food and a little bit about community activism and cats. And when we sit and we have meals together, she is taking pictures of all of her food. She loves to sit and enjoy the flavors. And I don't care so much about that anymore, and she knows this. And it doesn't bother her as much as it used to, but she did turn to me at the end of the meal and goes, did you have a good time? And I was like, eh, which is not what you want to tell your wife on your anniversary celebration. But Notice the question was not, did you enjoy the meal? It yeah. was, did you have a good time? Yeah. And when you said no, yeah. it wasn't about oh, the I meal. I fell into the trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. No, so, and, and I'm being honest with her, and, and we appreciate that about each other. And, uh, and she goes, yeah, you would probably have enjoyed just sitting with me for three hours and making eye contact. And I go, yeah, that's, that's about right. You know, like I just yeah, but my, my image you. of you is that you don't sleep and that you just stare at each other all night. And then you, after eight hours of that, you decide it's time to get up and go throughout your day. I, I would love that. Uh, I don't think that Naomi would be willing to sit for that long. Uh, however, there are times where I, I will sit for several hours. I mean, I hear that myself. mindfulness masters never sleep. I'm not quite at that point yet. In fact, I find that uh, lately I've been sleeping more than I used to, and I really enjoy it. So I'm continuing to do it. Mm. I used to have this thing where... I would try to wake up at 5 a.m. and do like this miracle morning thing where I get the journaling and the exercise and the smoothie and the reading. And it was wonderful for a little, for a while. It was like, oh, kicked off my day to a great start. But then I have all of these nighttime activities. I teach a night class. I run events for people at night. A lot of the things that we do as meditation teachers, people don't take off work to do this sort of thing. So we teach in the after hours. And then if I come home late and I eat dinner at 11 o'clock, I don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. 
and do it all over again. And I found that with time I was exhausted, so I gave that up and I stopped making myself guilty about it. You know, it's mm. funny that you say that. I, I, I feel like life, like I have this idea of who I want to be. I want to be the kind of person who wakes up early. I actually enjoy waking up early. I feel like I accomplished more. And, I, and in fact, if I wake up past 11, I feel like I've already wasted the day. And so that certain reward feeling mm. that you were talking about, I, I completely mm. identify and also understand that like life just makes it, especially in Miami, where nightlife is so uh, prominent, um, it just makes it hard to like stick to that schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, I I want to go to bed early one night, but then my girlfriend like has a thing and she wants me to come, and I don't want to go by herself. So then I end up staying later. I get home at one or two, and then I don't want to wake up early. You know, yeah. so I completely understand that. So it's, it's a shame that society and socializing and trying to live a certain lifestyle just gets in the way. Yeah. I rather like the fact that Miami has a late lifestyle, though, because I am a night person. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So we get the other perspective. Way to bring yeah. up the identity, right? My, so. my college professor once said, and I may have told this story before in the podcast, but uh, he was going over the syllabus uh, for a marketing class, and he said to me, or he said to the class, he's like, yeah, if you have any questions, you can just email me, and if, as long as it's before, like, 3 a.m., I'll get back to you. And we're all looking at each other like, 3 a.m.? What is he talking about? And somebody raised the question. He's like, did you say 3 a.m.? This guy's like, you know, he's in his 60s. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a night person. And, he's like, and everyone's like looking at each other and kind of giggling. And he goes, look, Benjamin Franklin once said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. He was a morning person. Hmm. I'm a night person. I believe if you go to bed in the same day that you woke up, you're a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I wrote it down in my journal. I never forgot it. And it, it's and nowadays, like when I get tired, lately I've been going to bed about midnight. is fairly early for me considering the, the kind of lifestyle I've lived in the past decade. I, sometimes I've actually gotten into bed before midnight. And it's like 11.30 and I'm like starting to crawl into bed. I'm like, no, wait, must stay up. Can't quit. <laughs> Have to get to 12.01. <laughs> Well, this brings us into, like, why am I shooting myself about when I should go to sleep, when I should wake up, based on some other expectation of how my morning or how my day should look? Uh, and there are all these shoulds that get in there, and all these shoulds begin to create this feeling of guilt. Like, if I don't do certain things, then I'm going to feel bad, and how do I manage all of that? And that kind of brings us into the conversation that Luke and I were having before we started this podcast yeah, episode. Well, actually, about, let's, let's since the, you bring that up, let, Luke... Yeah. Who are you and why are you awesome? My name is Luke Pascal. I work at University Aid for Children, um, Ukraine, which is a nonprofit organization which helps Ukrainian orphans by providing them toys, uh, clothing. Uh, we also have a scholarship program, which when you graduate from the orphanage, essentially you kind of kick down the street and you're on your own. So we have a scholarship program which kind of helps those kids out and gives them guidance and supports them financially. Um, and we have Americans and Ukrainians who will be sponsors and sponsor a child for um, provide service and kind of build a foster relationship with them. Okay. So that's part of what we do. I was actually adopted from Ukraine when I was a child, and uh, my mother, who started so this organization... Is that what got you into this, this business? Yes, okay. yes. I probably wouldn't be had it not been for my mother. I am awesome because I have good friends like you. Well, Luke, it's good to have you Thank here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Luke, it's good to have you on the show, man. There was something that, um, before we started recording today, you came in and we started talking about a very specific issue that came up, and it was... It was prompted by the course that I'm running here at the Center for Social Change and um, sort of training our awareness when it comes to our thoughts and our emotions. We're aware that, you know, as human beings, we have certain things that we value, which 
in a way guides us to knowing whether what we're doing feels right or doesn't feel right. And uh, whether we're aware of what our specific values are, we know that when we take actions in certain ways, this kind of feels like me or this doesn't feel like me. And that kind of guides our life in a direction. But um, many of us don't necessarily have a clear purpose. And in between our values and our actions, there's a whole bunch of muddy stuff that kind of gets in the way of doing the things that are really important to us or doing the things that we really care about. And we call those things thoughts and emotions. And um, we had this conversation about, you know, our training in our primary education doesn't typically set us up for managing our our thoughts and emotions very well. Uh, In fact, we get trained in the intellect. We get trained in in listening for information and memorizing things. Uh, But when it comes to having soft life skills that come in handy, for things like I don't know, having a relationship with a, with a loved one, or or being present when we are with strangers and trying to build new connections. Uh, being aware of our thoughts and emotions is not something that most of us are typically good at. And when it comes to making a decision about where to take a relationship to the next level, or um, even when I'm dealing with a loved one who is passing away, how do I be present with that? We have all this stuff that comes up that gets in our way of, of really experiencing that situation fully. And um, your particular predicament at this moment has to do with your girlfriend. And I, I want to acknowledge your courage for actually coming onto a podcast and sharing about this. <laughs> so Luke, why don't you tell us about your relationship and where your head's at in it? Okay. Um, I've been dating this girl for almost two years now. She's wonderful in a lot of ways, but she's not really the girl for me. For a very long time, I felt like I wanted to break up with her and that I wanted to do something different. But I kept staying in this relationship for uh, an array of reasons. Some of them being, she is good. She, she, is, she genuinely cares about me. She's always pushing me to do well in school and be focused. And I think she is a positive influence. On the other side, I don't feel like we totally identify in a a lot of ways. I don't feel like we have much in common. I don't feel uh, fulfilled spiritually with her. Not necessarily in a religious way, but uh, spiritually, like, we connect. I feel like there are some issues with our relationship, which has made it really hard for me to feel satisfied. I know I need to break up with her because I feel like that's the right thing for me to do and be happy and pursue other things. But at the same time, I'm, it's really hard. I, I, I don't want to break up with her because I don't want to let her down. She tells me often that I'm the most, I make her happy when no one else does. I'm the rock in her life. And that puts a lot of pressure on me. And it makes me feel like if I were to leave her, she'd be devastated and be lost without me. Which, on the one hand, I, I feel guilty, and on the other hand, I feel like I, this isn't my burden to bear. So I'm at this position in my life where I want to make a choice, and I want to leave, but at the same time, I, I really care about her, and I don't want her to be miserable. Mm. It's often hard to be in a relationship and then realize that you care for somebody, and you want the best for them, and you want them to be happy, but then you realize there's something lacking for you, and you have to pull that band-aid off at some time and say, hey, look, I've, I've got to make a decision for me, which in the long term, if you're not happy, you're not going to be able to make her happy. And you've got to come around to understanding that what's best for you in a certain light is also best for her. Because if you're only making decisions for her, you're neglecting yourself. And yourself is, you got to have a good relationship with yourself before you can make sure that other people are happy. It seems like you, you've been in a relationship for a while. Two mm-hmm. years is not an insignificant amount of time. 
But you've come to this conclusion that it sounds like you've already made the decision, but you haven't found a way to pull the trigger. Has, it, has there yeah. been other opportunities for you to do so? I've actually pulled the trigger a few times. Um, since we've been dating, I think I've tried to end things for maybe... I've tried to end it like five or six times over the course of our relationship. The very first time was a month after we started dating. I broke up with her, and then things just ended. We, we weren't very emotionally involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went our own ways. And granted, I actually asked for her to get back we 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 got back together but it was really my instigation so we started dating and over a long period there uh it was good and bad but there were times where i I felt i was over it and i would break up and then we would cry together and i would think you know what maybe it's not so bad maybe i'm being immature impatient maybe i need to be uh more willing to hear from her side and so on and so forth so i've stayed in this relationship for a very long time do you think that's still possible to have that even now like at this point when you you you're having this conversation with us, or is it still possible that you're afraid of the commitment of this, or you're, as in you just said, like, that possibly you're making a mistake? Yeah, of course. I think that's, I think there's so many, I think this was a show that I watched. It made, it made a point to say, like, there are a bunch of doors in your life, open doors, and if you spend too long deciding which door to go through, you end up going through none of them. I could go through the door where I stay with her and try to push through and maybe change the way I see things. Or I could go through another door and maybe it, I don't have to try that hard to to have a good relationship or just maybe I'd be happier just to be single and be independent because I'm a very independent person by nature. Hmm. So part of the reason why I don't like being in this relationship is that she can be very needy and I don't feel as emotionally involved enough to want to provide that for her. I'd rather just do my own thing. I'd rather just not have to worry about that. And it's a very selfish thing to say. But I think at this stage of my life, that's kind of how I feel. And I think trying to force that ends up making me feel bitter about being in the relationship with her. Better to be honest and talk about your, you know, whether it's an emotion that makes you, it puts you in a bad light. Better to be honest about it than to pretend that in a disingenuous way that you're, that your feelings are something other than how you claim them to be. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I support you and agree with you in that. And I think that that's that's important for you to recognize. There was something that came up for me when you were sharing earlier that you acknowledged that she said that you're her rock, mm-hmm. that that you make her happy when nobody else does. And I also heard you acknowledge that you, you would feel guilty taking that away from her, which leads me to believe that you, you are aware that her happiness in a way is contingent upon you, that she is not being responsible for generating her own happiness. I completely agree. Whereas where you are right now, you're aware that you generate your own happiness. And I've been in that situation before, and it can create a, a this kind of weird feeling pull on the inside. And it's it's not a comfortable thing to go through. And it's, it's an experience that's mixed with guilt and shame a little bit. And But then there's also like the ego mind loves the idea that somebody is relying on you. Yeah, I think that colloquially we say these things that help us to express our feelings to our partner. For example, saying something like, oh, you're, you're the rock in my life. And the rushing river of life, you're the thing I hold on to to keep steady. And that sounds good to say. It's intended to be a compliment. It's intended to make you understand how much you mean to her. Actually, I want to I wanna comment on what you just said. Okay. We after two years of dating, don't say I love you. That's Mm -hmm. not something we do. 
And the truth is, I don't feel the the intrinsic urge to say it to her. I don't feel the intrinsic urge to give her compliments all the time. Hmm. And it, maybe it's my negative frame of mind prior to that, but she'll compliment me. And I think it's because I made her day. And like you said, I think she wants her, she wants me to know how she feels. And it is to make me feel good, but I also think it feels good on her part. Because I know when I, especially especially when I get a little bit tipsy, I, I get a very I get very affectionate with people I care about, and I all I want to do is tell them, let them know how much they I matter. Excuse me, I want to let them know how much they matter to me, and I want to let them know how great they are, and I want them to succeed. And that's something I genuinely just want to I want them to know because I want them to feel good about it. So I, I agree with you, but at the same time, why have I not felt that way with her? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just naturally it's it arises in me and. I'll be with my guy friends and I get a little bit tipsy or I'll just be in a happy mood. And I'm like, hey, man, you know what? I really appreciate the way that you do this. Yeah. You know, you're really smart. You're really good at this. And I just want you to know that. Like that, it's just, it's something that feels like it's, it's a moment of true altruism. Yeah, it's an acknowledgement. Right. And it's it's not a, a telling of somebody that you're relying on them for your happiness. It's a like, hey, man, I just really want to acknowledge you for being there for me or for yeah. being strong or being whoever you are. Right. But with her, it feels forced. Why? Is that not weird to you well, to think? I understand that feeling. And I've been in relationships where I felt like that before. Like I felt like I was having to struggle to reciprocate feelings. And part of me thinks that it's important to have that struggle and important to, for especially for long-term relationships, to understand that relationships are work and that you that you need to put in effort to maintain them and that it's not supposed to be just easy it naturally works all the time 100% of the time because that's mm-hmm. the fairy tale that's that's the lie that Hallmark sells you, you hey man no advertising on this podcast <laughs> this is an anti-Hallmark <laughs> <laughs> but this idea that romance is uh, supposed to just happen easily uh, or just happen naturally is is bogus it might feel like that at first and certain relationships happen to flow a little bit more easily than others but in the long run you're different people and you have to put in a certain level of commitment and work to be able to understand that other person. But, now, that being said, mm-hmm. when you get to a point in a relationship where it is obvious to you that you don't feel the same way about them that they feel about you, that's a red flag. And then when you go beyond that and realize, okay, I, I'm just doing this because I'm, I'm just going through the motions, mm-hmm. you have to make a decision for both of you. One, for you to be happy yourself, and two realizing that their happiness being with you will not continue if you are unhappy and sometimes relationships end and that's you know part of why we're talking about this today on mindfulness of doom way to bring the doom back in a relationship right is is that the end of a relationship is often quite unpleasant even though most relationships end and that that's got to be the norm right you know we 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 start to think of these relationships as being uh we always want them to succeed we always want them to be really happy and uh, have a a great ending but the truth is most relationships don't end amicably but you know it's funny that you say most relationships end and i can if we're talking about all kinds of relationships let's talk about friendships you can have people who you can be very close with at some point in your life then let's say you move or they do some other job and you don't see them as much Mm -hmm. and then your relationship just kind of fizzles out it doesn't mean like if you don't see them again maybe next time you hang out it'll be great and you'll just kick it off but it it's sort of like you just kind of like go your own separate paths. But when you're in a relationship, uh, I mean a dating, uh, in a r- romantic relationship, 
you can't just do that. You can't just like, if it's not there anymore and do a different thing, you have to make a commitment and say, I do not want this anymore. It's interesting how we make that distinction between these two different types of relationships as they fall into separate categories in a way because a romantic relationship, at least in our culture, uh, requires a, an agreement to commit to a something, right? Uh, to, to create something together. But I, I want to go back to the, the analogy that you used of, of the different doors that you could walk through because you have all of these possibilities that you can create in your life and if you choose to walk through the door that involves your current girlfriend, all of the other doors close. And it can be scary sometimes to commit to one direction, knowing that all of these other potentials that existed now are no longer possible because I've made this type of commitment. And we can make a decision to say, okay, well, you know what? This commitment is worth it. Or maybe this commitment is not worth it, and I'm open to what could potentially happen in these other doors. Or we get skilled in communication to the point where we say, you know what, I want to have more than just this. I want to have what I have and I want to experience these other things. And that's, mm -hmm. we're open to work that out. That sounds like cheating. <laughs> well, it, it could, or it could sound like an open relationship, dare I say it. Well, I, but, you know, it, but also that's contingent on your significant other, too. Right. So let's say you have my girlfriend before my current girlfriend was much more open about that kind of thing. And I actually felt a lot easier to be with her. Because I could be 100% who I am myself, and it didn't matter because she knew that I wanted to be with her. Whereas she, my she wasn't girl, putting restrictions on right. how you could. In fact, live. she was actually kind of cool because she liked both. I didn't <laughs> intend for this conversation to go in this direction, Sorry, but I'm it, open it, to it. Let's no. I mean, let's roll with it, man. <laughs> Your face is kind of. <laughs> we. Oh, it, it's not red for for any of those reasons. <laughs> I, I am fully in support of yeah. all relationship types. I'm just yeah. amazed that this is the direction that the conversation yeah. is. There's going. a direction that I do want to take this, but but finish your thought. Okay, so essentially, she. It's not like we ever did anything. We didn't date for that long, um, for other reasons. But the point being, is that I felt like I could be myself, and it was okay. I didn't need to filter myself, and it was I was at ease with her. With my current girlfriend. Um, if I just, like, if a cute girl walks by and I look without even thinking, uh -huh. I can feel her death staring me. And it feels like this anxiety where I feel like I'm doing something relatively innocent. Yeah. And I think part of being in a relationship is agreeing that, look, I'm not going to date anyone else because I want to be with you. But I think it would be ignorant to say that I don't find other people attractive. I'm, I think part, the, relation, the whole point of being in a relationship is saying, look, I find other people attractive, but... I'm, I choose you over everyone else, and it doesn't matter yeah. at the end of the day. And so when, I have, when I'm getting crap from her, and I, she's not horrible, but like... I love the, the, the uh, analogy of getting crap from someone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I still think, like, as a man with eyes and is attracted to females, when I'm dating somebody... It's a skill of self-discipline to, to like, train yourself. Well, well, not look down, but to train yourself not to ogle people. Like that's something that you have to learn as, as part of a proper adult behavior. And right. particularly when you're in a relationship, you have to go out of your way to consider how your actions make them feel. And you are not responsible for their feelings or their actions or their thoughts, that's that's on them. However, going out of your way to have a little bit of discipline, to, to realize that, okay, yeah, I'm attracted to other people, but I'm not gonna be checking other people out right in front of her because right. it's going to make her feel awful. I yeah, agree like with you. What would I rather have right now? I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I agree with you in the sense that like that's a natural feeling to have and you should not feel ashamed of it. But I would also add that 
I know that my behavior can cause someone else emotional pain, mm-hmm. and if I am reckless with that behavior, then then I am respond that I'm not being kind or receptive to the way they feel about it. And I think right. it's important for men, especially, to to not ogle women or just even I mean, noticing that women are attractive is one thing, but then well, it's like this. I mean, we live in Miami, right? There yeah. are a lot of attractive women here, yeah. and you get used to it, and then it becomes not a big deal, and they're just people, you know? Right. You, you become right. trained out of... But when you're young, and you see these attractive women, you can't help but look, because you, you want... You're like, oh my God, I, I want but, to look at this. Right. this to you, it's that, like, like a, it's a shiny new penny, like... Right. But you want to pick it up, but you but it's not socially appropriate, and right. you have to train yourself to understand to you know to, to get past that and to be like to look past the, the the shallowness of just like oh I'm attracted to something I'm not attracted to something right. But like this is such a gray area. Like what do we define ogling or oogling? Ogling. 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 Ogling could be like I see a cute girl, I like turn my neck to look at her and I stare at her for like a solid five to ten seconds, versus just like looking for maybe a second. And like my brain is just registering what's going on, mm-hmm. and at that point, I've I didn't even realize I had consciously done that. It's a matter so, of perception. It's and yeah. and your girlfriend perceives it a certain way. Other people perceive it a different way, and however she defines it, if you guys haven't explicitly agreed upon what's appropriate and what's not, you will continue to have a fear that she is going to give you crap, and that's going to create a scenario where she actually does give you crap because right. it's something you haven't quite worked out. I don't, I don't like this term "giving them crap" based on this because these I, are, I don't these either. Are, express their are, express their discreditness. Yeah, I mean, they have every right in the world oh, to totally. feel yeah. the way that they feel about these things. Look, like what Brian was just saying, everyone's got to take responsibility for their actions. And sometimes those actions that we take are not scripted as well as we would like. Maybe maybe right. she feels insecure about these things and it would be it would behoove her to get over those kind of insecurities because like you said, you chose to be with her. Yeah. You know, I've been in relationships before where uh, the women that I was with, they were also, they were, they were bisexual. They were interested in both men and women. And they were, we were so comfortable with each other. There would be times when she'd point out some girl and we would both check her out. And it was like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Outside of the sexuality, there was this comfort in knowing that like we were just okay with the fact that both of us are sexual creatures and have other desires. Right. But then we've, I've also been in other relationships where like I have felt jealous when my girlfriend was like, oh my God, he's so sexy and like pointing out like something or some guy or, or, or and, I, and I, just, I got jealous and I'm not really a jealous person, but I felt that way and I was like, oh man, I've got to deal with this. Right. You know? And yeah. And what's interesting is you have, like, to have that commu- you have to have that communication with your partner. You have yeah. to set an understanding amongst each other. Right. So she's not responsible for you feeling the jealousy, but at the same time, when that comes up, it's an opportunity to, com- to communicate. But it's it's these thoughts and emotions that get triggered in certain scenarios that we have an opportunity to be responsible for. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that makes it really difficult to walk through some of the other doors and give up the door that we're already walking through is identifying so strongly with the door that we're already in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been in a relationship with this person for two years, yeah. and you're 23 now. I mean, this, this is a significant portion of your life that you've committed to being with this person building something together with them and naturally in the subconscious mind we associate life more and more with this this is like i mean if you think about it like you're like how far back can you remember like we were 12 14 like something like that yeah maybe sometimes not even like to this morning Uh, (laughs) at at what point (laughs) 
of your development do you get to where you're like, okay, I remember having these conscious thoughts. All my executive functions were developed in the brain. And that's somewhere around, you know, 10 to 12 for most people. And so if you, you at 23, let's say you, you know, you remember everything back until 12 and you've spent two years with this person, like your cognitive memory of yeah. your life is only about 12 years old. That's right. You have of your life. Already. Yeah. You have spent one fifth of your life with the same person. Right. Yeah. That's a one fifth of your, you know, uh, you know, rememberable life. Right. Right. Uh, and then only you've only been an adult for five years. It's not like uh, a legal adult for five years right. and you still have so much to learn and grow uh, and I say that just being 32 and knowing right. that I have a lot of growth still to do. But uh, I do want to share with you a story um, about something that I think – a situation that I went through that's kind of similar to yours. Um, I taught English in Japan for four years. And while I was there, I ended up dating a Japanese woman who was quite lovely. And we dated two and a half years. Um, I'm sorry. How old were you at the time, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I went when I was 22, and I came back when I was 26. Okay. So, um... About my age, roughly. Yeah, basically about your age. I started dating her when I was 23, and then we dated till I was like 25 and a half or so, okay. around there. Gotcha. Um, when we, when we broke up. So, the relationship was excellent. We were great domestically. At home, we got along great. She had her hobbies, I had my hobbies. She had her set of friends, I had my set of friends. And we had a lovely time together. Neither one of us cheated on each other. Like, that's just not our bag. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're both very respectful and, and just, you know, it was a good relationship. But at a certain point, a friend of mine mentioned to me, like, hey, Corey, are you, you going to get married to her? And I'm like, oh, I'm not really thinking about that right now. She's like, maybe you should. Because my girlfriend was eight and a half years older than me. So she was already in her 30s. And in Japan, culturally, it's more... There's a lot of pressure from the family to start getting married. If you're a woman and you start to get to 30, then there's these cultural pressures. Now, she didn't really feel like that was important for her. She wanted to get married. She wanted to have a family. She wanted to have children. But she never pressured me, although I know her parents were pressuring her. Hmm. When we started dating, we worked in different companies. Mm -hmm. uh, after about a year and a half of dating, a long story short, uh, a friend of mine passed away who was an English teacher at the school that she was teaching at. And I covered for him while he was sick in the hospital. When he passed, the students and uh, my girlfriend asked me to become the English teacher there. So my girlfriend became my boss. Wow. So I was working for her at oh. this company for another year during the whole time of which we were dating. When I had to make – I was in a similar situation to you in that I kind of realized, okay, look, this is a great relationship. She's fantastic. I really love her. But I am not satisfied. There was uh, an intellectual connection that wasn't there. There was a spiritual connection that wasn't there. I couldn't talk to her about my uh, political views. I couldn't talk to her about my spiritual beliefs. I couldn't, I couldn't open up in that way because she just wasn't receptive to that. She just wasn't on the same wavelength. She liked shopping and she liked, you know, more, she liked watching Sex in the City and th th those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with those things, but they just weren't resonant with me. Mm -hmm. And I eventually got to the point where I realized it doesn't matter how much longer we date. I am never going to want to get married to this person. Mm -hmm. And when I had that realization, it was about two or three months before I actually broke up with her. Mm -hmm. And it took me that long to build up the courage to end the relationship. And I wanted to do it the right way because I knew that after we broke up, we were going to have to work together. 
I wanted to do it the right way because I didn't want to hurt her because I really cared for her. And I wanted to do it the right way because all of our friends were friends together and I was definitely afraid that I was going to be ostracized from my friends and her friends and I was going to hurt her in ways and you know my job was on top of that. But both of us were very adult and we, when I did finally call it off, I tried to do it the right way. I tried to go, okay, I tried to explain it to her and say, look, this is just not going to work out in the long run. We need to call this off. And she did not understand. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do as in my adult life in a relationship was call that relationship off because we were at a high point. Mm -hmm. We were getting along so well and things were working so well. And so to be able to explain at a high point in a relationship why it isn't working was really difficult. Mm -hmm. And then we had to keep working together. So mm -hmm. when we went to work, we were able to kind of keep it under wraps and, and, and get along. But at the end of the day, she was like, hey, will you walk me to my car? And then she would cry on the whole walk to the car. And it was so difficult for me because I didn't want to hurt her, but I wanted to give her enough space and time and explain every time she wanted to ask and every time she wanted to have a conversation I, I I had that conversation but once I called it off she didn't I didn't let her sleep over at my place anymore we didn't hook up anymore there was no sex there was we worked together and I would hang out with her when she asked to hang out with me and I had the time and and we I would try to basically pull the band-aid off slowly I wanted to do it the right way mm-hmm it felt, though, in hindsight, that that may have been a mistake mm. because the hurt lasted a lot longer for both of us yeah. than Doing if I had just right done way. it. it. There is no right way. Right. There are lots of wrong ways to break up, mm -hmm. but there is no right way because someone is always going to get hurt. And this is one of the lessons that I learned in my life. Even though you don't want to hurt people, sometimes you have to. And sometimes you have no choice and it's going to happen whether you want to or not. Sometimes it's intentional, such as a breakup. Sometimes it's unintentional, like checking out a woman down the street where you just happen to do it and then they get upset by it. You know, mm -hmm. you, you hurt somebody intentionally or un unintentionally. It happens. Yeah. But in this particular case, it was really difficult for me. It was really difficult for her. It was more difficult for her. We stayed friends. We still we are still in contact with each other. And after a year or two, I came back and visited Japan. We met up again, and and she told me, "Look, I understand. I understand why, but you know, it was still painful for her. And it worked out in the sense that you know, over a long enough period of time, those wounds heal. Mm -hmm. To date, I still look back at that relationship as one of the landmark relationships of my twenties. Oh well, of my whole life, because she's still a great person. But if I had not gone through that. I would not know now what the kind of person I was looking for. I needed to go through that. At the time, I was considering getting married to her. I had that thought multiple times. I had that, that discussion with myself, like, oh, wow, this is really working out. It's great. Like, this might be the thing for me. And I deliberated on that for months and eventually decided that it wasn't for me. And I had to pull the trigger, and I pulled it slowly. And I think I hurt her more because of that. My grandmother gave me some interesting advice, and I'll end the story here. She said to me once, Corey, that toy gun shoots real bullets. <laughs> and at first, I thought it was really funny. She goes, eh, it shoots baby bullets. That's funny. But then I got older, and I realized that it shoots emotional bullets, too. And you have to be careful where you aim it. Well said. When you said there's no right way or wrong way, there is a wrong way, but there is no there's right way. There's lots of wrong ways, right. but there's no yeah. right ways. Right. So... 
I was discussing this with my cousin, who's a, who's a uh, psychologist, and she was explaining a situation she had very similar to mine, where she said she was in a relationship with this guy who was very nice, who was crazy about her, and would treat her like a queen, yet she wasn't happy. And she just, the way that she puts it is, um, she just wasn't that into him. And she told me a story where she drove, apparently, for hours into like a different state so that she could break up with him in person the right way. They cried and it was really hard. She ended up staying, not breaking up with him, and then regretting the choice later. Eventually, she said that she came to the realization that she just needed to end things. So she called him. It was really hard. She, the, phone, the phone call lasted maybe mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Then she said, once after they hung up, it was over. She cried, and then that night she went out partying with her friends, and she felt significantly better, and she felt like a weight was lifted off her shoulders. Yeah. And so her advice to me is that I should call my girlfriend, end things, because it's been so hard doing it in a person, and I've tried doing it that way multiple times. And so she's saying, call her, explain how you feel, be honest, then hang up, block her phone number, block her on social media, block her completely, and just give it time, give it space to just have some moment to see things clearly and like not be reeled in immediately afterwards and so i'm i'm compens- I'm, I'm considering that as an option maybe i should just call her end it kind of force each other to be apart for a little bit and then maybe come back later and talk if if that's the case or doing it in person and trying the right way again i mean in the communication that you have with her you can create that as a possibility and say you know what this is it and i'm open to being friends with you but right now we just have to, it's going to be painful, and for me, I have to do this. At the risk of sounding like a mindfulness dick, <laughs> uh, the mechanics of how we operate as human beings, if just stepping outside of all of the emotional stuff for a second, we get so attached to each other, and we don't, we're not always aware of how it becomes that way but when we spend a certain amount of time with somebody and we share a certain number of experiences with somebody we automatically generate all of these thoughts and feelings and and we begin to identify so strongly with having the kind of life that involves this person and anytime we release an attachment we experience anguish we experience sadness we experience pain and discomfort and um I've I've heard the emotion of sadness be described this way. Sadness is nothing more than the release of attachment. It's a it's just you're pulling the cork out of something and there are tears that are going to bubble out. And it doesn't always feel pleasant. And life isn't always pleasant. It's something we have to go through the bad times in order to experience the good. And it is possible that taking action on what you're considering doing breaking up with your girlfriend could be the greatest blessing and gift that you give to her and to yourself. Consider that she's somebody who is not able to generate her own happiness. And taking your support away in that way may create an opening for her to realize that she needs to be responsible for her happiness. And at the same time, you're giving yourself the love and happiness that you've been wanting to give yourself without pouring it over into something that is just needing it. And in the future, when if or when you do come back together as friends or whatever, you will be more complete than you were in the past.
past. Relationships can evolve and shift over time if we allow them to, and you have an opportunity to set this up in a way that it works out for everybody. It may or may not work that way. You have no control over how she's going to react, just like you haven't had control over how she's going to think and, and react in the past. Um, and you have no control over how she's going to feel after this happens. And also at the risk of sounding like a mindfulness dick, it's not your responsibility how she reacts. There's going to be an effect from your cause, right? We, I break up with somebody, there's going to be a reaction. I can acknowledge the pain and the hurt and the suffering that that person is experiencing. I can listen for what they're really dealing with. If I want to, I can choose to take responsibility for it, but I'm, in reality, I'm not responsible for their suffering. That's something that she needs to go through, and what you're going through right now is something that you need to go through. This is a part of our learning process. This is a part of us growing as human beings, and there's something for you to get from this experience that, in, in a way, you're seeking it, where we typically seek is outside of ourselves. This experience that you're creating right now is something that's going to be internal. And as you go through the emotions this time, I invite you, I encourage you to really feel that completely. There will be stuff that comes up for you. There will be thoughts, there will be feelings about it. Try not to avoid feeling all of that. Because as Corey likes to say, the only way out is through. To prevent this from becoming a recurring pattern, we need to feel and process whatever it is that's coming up for us, and then that provides the freedom and the liberation that we're seeking. I would like to add to that and say you know, that my advice would be, you have opted to be in this relationship, and you have committed to being in it for two years, and good on you for that. But I feel that you have, at least my opinion, and just, just take this just as my opinion, is that you know, you have a duty to see it through to the end. Uh, I kind of, your friend who gave you the advice about ending it on the phone, um, I, I, I would not recommend that. I would say that if you are worried that you're going to get back together because you're going to lose heart uh, doing it in person, then my advice, and I hate this kind of advice because I don't normally give it to myself, is, that, <laughs> is that you need to have an upright spine for this. You're going to hurt her, and it's going to feel good for you when it's over mm -hmm. and there might be a little bit of guilt associated with that but understand and take responsibility for the hurt that you're going to cause this person mm. brian is right it is not your responsibility to manage other people's reactions and emotions mm -hmm. but you should also have compassion for the fact that because that there's no way around hurting other people it's going to happen and you should take care that you do so in a respectful way and I, I would encourage you to do it in person. I would encourage you to be strong and have your convictions set of how you want to explain it and also set rules for yourself with saying no. You have to say, no, you can't sleep over. No, I'm not coming over to your house. No, and then also, I, I would also recommend not doing it at your place. <laughs> because... When Go it's, meet up for coffee someplace. No, no. I mean, you can do it at her place or do it somewhere else, but I would recommend you do it in a place where when it's time to go, you can walk away. If you, if you do it at your place, you have to push her out, and that's even harder to do because you don't want to do that. Right. So, and you, you said you've already done this several times. You've, you've attempted to break up with her, and yeah. you've gotten in the habit of letting her back in. 
Yeah, and yeah. and I uh, I know like I last time which I tried to break up with her, which gr- granted it wasn't the best timing. I broke up with her in the on the roof of a parking garage. We were in her car, and I broke up with her. And the reason being is we got an argument before, and it was finals week, and I was thinking, you know what, we're arguing, and I feel like this angst right now that 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 I feel when I wanted to break up with her, and maybe this is the right moment when I feel this mo- emotion most strongly. And I, I know generally you don't want to go into go in with your emotions. You want to be objective. You use the momentum. I use the momentum exactly. Right. So I felt like I would. That was probably the best opportunity for it. So we broke up. She was crying. She was hysterical, and it really tore me apart to see her like that. Hmm. You know, at one point she said, "I hate you," and I said, "I'm sorry that you feel that way, and I hope that like it changes." And I, you know, I want it to be good, but I'm not trying to hurt you. And then she took it back, and I and I said, I'm sorry, goodbye. I got out of the car. I got into the stairwell, and I'm thinking, I need to get out of this building. Because if I turn around, that's it. I got down one flight, and then I broke down crying, really hysterically. I, I was completely gone, and I just needed a moment, because it was a very difficult thing to do for me, emotionally. And then she called me while I was in the stairwell, crying, and I pick up the phone, which was the wrong choice. And uh, she's begging me to come back to the car. And I'm thinking... What if she gets in a car accident? Because she's so hysterical driving back. It's somehow my fault. And I know that's, a, that's an illogical thing to think, especially now when my head is clear, but that was my rationale at the time. So I go back to her car, and I knew that the second I walk up the steps back to the car, that I would be back in this relationship, and that I would regret it. And here we are. And I'm not saying it was like a really bad month since then. Um, in fact, I think she's... So that tried- was a month ago. Yeah, that was about a month ago. And I want to say she's actually tried really hard to make this work. And she's had conversations with me. And we that, that time when we decided to get back together, we had a good conversation. Yeah. Which gave me some semblance of hope. But the underlying issue is that I don't feel like I want to get married to her. And in fact, that last conversation we mm-hmm. had when I broke up with her, she admitted that she didn't see us getting married either. So why am I going through aches and pains to stay in a relationship with someone that I don't really see a future with? Granted, you're right. It's like a high right now with, with your relationship and your story. It feels like a high in the sense that there's a lot of things going right, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like the right way for me. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying. When I said earlier, I'd like to clarify something. When I said earlier that all rela- that most relationships end in failure, that's, that's if you categorize relationships as success by, oh, we ended in marriage. But mm-hmm. that's—I don't think that's a good metric. For I, I, I don't want to. I, I don't. I hope you don't think I never said it was no, no, a failure. No, 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 no. Of, okay. of course not. No. Uh, no, actually, nobody used the word failure. You, what, no, what I, I heard I'm, you say I'm, was relationships come to an end. Right. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is that there's two ways to look. At, there's two uh, tactics in which you can use to look at relationships. One is to see them as like every relationship you get in, regardless of how it ends, is an experience that helps you along your path. And most of them will not, most of these relationships are, are going to end at a certain point. The ending of a relationship, it's always successful, regardless of whether it ends or not. Because all relationships end. Even marriages end. Yeah, we're going to die at some point. Right. And the end, I think, is important in all things. I think it's important to, uh, to recognize that you have to go through it. But I've been on the other side of it, too. I've hurt people by ending a relationship regardless of how well my how well my intentions are when you call things off it hurts people but i've also been on the other side of it where i was broken up with and it was way more painful than i thought it was going to mm-hmm. be like i was not expecting that it was going to hit me so hard and it was one of those things where it happened and then i was like okay 
and I, I held my grace and I was like, all right, I understand. Okay, I, I, I'll see you later. And I walk away and I'm like getting, and as I got to the car, I got more and more angry. And then I kind of, I was kind of numb for a while. And then eventually like went out drinking with my friends and I'm like, all right, let's, I need a beer guys. Come, let's go talk. And I broke down in the bar. I just sobbed into my beer. (laughs) I was a weepy mess. It stuck with me for months months or see that's the thing i had this two and a half year relationship with this girl in japan fantastic it did not it was difficult and it was a life event that i'll never forget Mm -hmm. but it did not that two and a half year relationship hurt me way less than this three-month relationship that just caused me to just weep into my beer and it was months before i was over it it just blew my mind that something so short could have been so impactful for me and that was at no point her responsibility and i never told her about And I never said, hey, you know, I went through all this pain because that pain isn't for her. It would have done her no good to know about it. It was for me and I needed to go through it and I needed to understand what that was like on that end of it. It was your releasing of attachment. I don't know if I ever released the attachments, but I did learn a lot from it. Are you saying there's still some left? There's always attachments. Mm. But you know, it, it's but very mature. I want to say, well, thank you. You're but there's one thing I, I, I did want to kind of end that with was is, is that I had said when I was about 27, 28, I had realized that I had probably been in a dozen relationships and I had never been broken up with. Mm. I had always been the one to call it off, except for maybe like a high school relationship, which right. you know, you, you, you high school, it's high school, it doesn't oh, really count, right? Yeah, oh, high school. Every significant relationship I'd ever been in, I was the one who called it off, and I even told myself, "I hope I get broken up with, I hope I get cheated on, because I want to know what that feels like." I've never cheated on anybody. I don't. It's just not my thing. I don't do it. I want to know what it is like to have my heart broken. And I dated somebody for like four or five months and they ended up cheating on me with somebody. But I didn't really care for that relationship much anyway. I was still upset, but I was glad that it happened because I had perspective from it. But then this, this other relationship that I've been mentioning, like where like I, I didn't know that I didn't know the meaning of heartbreak until I had that happen. Yeah, right. And that was the most perspective that I've ever gotten from a relationship was being on that side of it. And so, so my advice to you about going and doing it in person is to say, like, hey, you need to own up to this. You need to go and do it the right way. She put in two years of her life to be with you. You owe her that. And you owe her an ending that is worth your time. And uh, if you cannot, if you absolutely cannot do it in person, it's understandable. If you have to use the phone option, do it. But... But realize that, you, that this is going to be painful for her, and you should own up to as much of that as you can, because so, it's not your responsibility, but at the same time, it's like, do give, you think, give her the credit. Would you are, could you also argue that I also owe her to feel the pain of having to be there for to see it? Like, mm-hmm. isn't it isn't kind of like my suffering and breaking up with her in person kind of my responsibility, too? I, I, I mean, I could... I'm, I'm also kind of coming at this from like a slightly chivalrous perspective <laughs> yeah. of understanding like, hey, look, that's life. If you walk away from this scot-free, don't you don't feel, feel, if you don't feel bad about this at all, then it's like... You're doing oh, it wrong. Okay, yeah. hold on. So let, if it doesn't let me, burn, it's let me step working. into mindfulness dick mode again and Ugh. just get really neutral on this topic. So there's something that, that I want to share about compassion. We as human beings, it is our natural state to be compassionate to want to see others 
happy, to want to see others grow, uh, to want to create good vibes. And uh, I used to think that compassion was being kind only, being nice, uh, such that it produced only a positive experience. And I have also discovered that compassionate has a dark that, that compassion has a dark side to it. That sometimes it's not that you owe anybody anything. There's nothing that she needs to see about you going through any sort of experience. But there is an experience that needs to be had. And sometimes the compassionate choice is the painful choice. It's not the one where, okay, you know what, I feel sorry about how you're feeling, so I'm going to get back with you so that you don't have to feel all this pain. Because then that creates more pain and more suffering. It just delays the pain. Yeah. Sometimes the compassionate choice is ending it immediately. It's like when the doctor, when you go into the doctor's office, and, and for those of you who have been listening to the show, uh, you'll know that I hate needles. If I go into the doctor's office and the doctor says, okay, well, I'm going to give you a shot, and we're going to do it very slowly. <laughs> and... I'm going to make sure that you watch very carefully. And when I put the needle in your arm, I'm going to wiggle it around just a little <laughs> bit. And then I'm going to keep it in there. And we're going to sing a tune together for several minutes while it's there. And we're going to watch the blood pump out slowly. Has this actually happened to you? I'm no, so sorry. this is not oh, a. Okay. No, when you go into the doctor's office and the doctor goes, hey, so you really need to have this shot before you go travel or whatever. So I promise to be really quick and painful. You may not like needles, but. It's not going to be that bad. Look, we're just going to do it. And then before I can even look, it's done. And I didn't realize that it happened. Mm -hmm. And I get present to the story about, oh my God, I just had a shot. And then I can, I can piss and moan about it afterwards. But the point is, okay, the breakup happened. Whatever comes up for me after that about what just happened is my shit to deal with. So you're going to have your shit to deal with. And she's going to have her shit to deal with. And both of you need to go through that shit. And on the other side of that, there is existing as a complete human being who now has the capability of living in their own happiness and fulfillment that is self-generated and not relying on each other for whatever the sick and twisted thing you guys have been doing to each other for two years. Because, you know, to be honest, yes, there, there have been some, you guys have had good experiences together and you've supported each other here and there and, and she's a genuinely nice person and so are you but at the same time you guys have been vying off of each other's energy in a way that isn't healthy and that's what's been producing this dissatisfaction for you and this reliance on happiness for her I don't know if there's been any unhealthy behaviors uh, as from what we've heard so far it just seems like it's not working out it's and not working out there's nothing to be ashamed of for that and right? you get to be responsible for it I get to? you get to be responsible uh, for it you also, yeah. get to, you also get to understand that Relationships are a risk, and you being open to that pain in the heart is part of that risk. Right. And it's worth it. Um, something that reminds me of, um, I know Louis C.K. is kind of in crap right now, and it's, it, the whole thing. But the point is, I saw an episode of Louis. I don't know if you've ever seen the show. Yeah. Um, it was a really profound episode to me. Um, it was right after he got, he got dumped by this chick. I think what happened is she was dating this Russian chick, and then she went back to her country. And so he's all sad, and then he sees this guy walking a three-legged dog, and this old man is saying, like, why are you here uh, just feeling pitying yourself, right? You should be happy that you're lucky enough to feel this sorrow. You should be happy and grateful that you get to feel such this raw passion. 
So that was something that stuck out to me, and so yeah. it kind of reminded me that when you brought this up, you, you seem pretty excited to say something. That was exactly the because, analogy that he used. Yes, when when I went through that breakup, that just demolished me. Yeah, um, he was a mess, dude. I just, that that is the exact clip that somebody sent to me. Oh my! God. And I watched it a dozen times because the the wording of it was great. I mean, there was there were some humorous moments in it, but from what I remember. Louis was walking around being depressed, and this he just bumps into this guy, and the guy says, "What's your story? Why are you depressed?" And, the guy, and Louis's like, "Well, I'm sad." And he's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Well, I don't want to be sad. I was happy, and now I'm sad. I don't like being sad." And the guy said, "You're the biggest idiot I've ever met." <laughs> he goes, "I've been, you know, I haven't been in love since I was 35 years old." And the guy's like in his 60s or 70s, and he goes, "You know what? You think that that missing her." is the bad part. No, that's the good part. You want to be with her. You remember her. You, you, you want to, to, to laugh and you, know, you, all, you want all these things. But that, that is the love. The bad part is when you don't care anymore. The bad part is when you're numb. And the bad part is coming. Mm. <laughs> He's you like, remembered that really well. Yeah, I, I told you, I watched it dozens of times. <laughs> He's basically saying, He's like, you're, you're like a walking poem. He's like, I would give anything. <laughs> He's like, I would give anything to feel like that again. Right. That clip made me feel so much better because it, it was, I was feeling awful. Through no fault of anyone's other than just that's the nature of relationships. You know, I'm sure she had a reason, but I, I, I don't know. But you know? I mean, it's maturity to acknowledge that she had a reason. You know, it, I mean, I think it's so easy. And for instance, if you ever watch a movie, especially like teeny movies, like if the guy breaks up with the girl, usually the guy is portrayed as like this douchebag who doesn't care. But having broken up with most of my relationships, I would say breaking up has been as equally as hard as being dumped. Um, I have been, I haven't actually been officially dumped. <laughs> okay, okay, so I, I, no, it isn't. <laughs> oh, okay. But I, either way, I think the point, be, all right, maybe, maybe that was kind of ignorant to say, but the point I'm trying to get to is that it hurts on both sides. Yes, it, it can. It does. It does hurt to if, be If you one. actually care. If you don't care, then it doesn't Yeah, hurt. when there's right. attachment, there is pain. But I, I met this one You're guy. having something ripped away from you. Yeah, I met this one guy who said he didn't care, and I couldn't understand him. He's like, oh, I'll just break up with her and date some other girl. I really, like, it doesn't bother me at all. And I'm sitting there like, how do you not feel? So but you met your first sociopath. <laughs> or at least openly. Yeah, open, openly sociopathic. Although it matters a great deal on the circumstance, I encourage you to get broken up with at some point in your life. Make it happen, bro. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, I'm not it. saying yeah. I'm not saying go out of your way to be a dick so you get dumped. Right. It, it is a tremendous eye opener and a perspective change to realize the kind of hurt that it is. Mm-hmm. Particularly yeah. when you you are just like smitten and you just can't understand and you don't get any answers and you never will and you have to deal with all of that and that is a tremendous. Uh, experience to go through it gives you perspective on every other relationship going going after that you mentioned you're 23 you're young obviously none of these the relationships you're in now are unlikely to end up being the one for you uh, although i don't believe that there are unless you want them to be they could they could they could be and you're open to that possibility but yeah if it's not working for you you need to keep dating people until you find the thing that you're looking for having dated a dozen odd people in the last 12 years of my life, I have realized 
through each one a little thing of the of what I'm looking for. Shit, I, man. I've been dating the same person for the last 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> man, you are behind the times. Oh, man. Well, he, he's yeah. married. You know, yeah. he's, he's locked in. But before, so you dated 12 that. people in the last several years, and you've been with one person yeah. for the last 12. Right. That's, yeah. that's a fun But dichotomy. before that, I think I dated about 12 people in about, like, two years. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was... I was that kind of guy. Those were Brian's whoring days. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm trying that's to... That's a different episode. Whoring of doom. You know, I just can't see it, man. If you, if anyone can, has ever met Brian, he's this really sweet, uh, skinny guy who's who wears yoga pants all the time. Will often be found walking in socks, even in the office, wears spectacle glasses, which is just so charming. <laughs> and yet, here he is, just the player. You know, I wasn't always this way. Yeah, that's true. It yeah. goes to show people change. We do change, and some of us faster than others. And when we put ourselves through experiences like this, it accelerates the process. We're having real visceral experiences, and we learn from them, and we get to choose what to do next, what not to do again, or we get to choose that we can be okay feeling some of these discomforts. And I mean, that's the point of this podcast is, look, we talk about the dark stuff because it's important and it's meaningful, and on the other side of it is all the good stuff that we're looking for. Yeah. I would like to invite our listeners at this point, if they're interested in this conversation and would like to share their own stories of breaking up or being heartbroken uh, and they want to share with us they can reach out to us at mindfulnessofdoom at gmail.com tell us your story and we'll share it on the podcast you can join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mindfuldoom and you can share your stories there and if you have uh, advice that you would like to uh, send out into the world on, on these topics. Or so, specifically for Luke. Well, by the time this podcast airs, he should have broken up with his girlfriend. Because if he doesn't, it's uh, this is a really bad way for her to find out about it. <laughs> I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this conversation having been recorded before this happens. So uh, you're committed, man. We're going to follow up with you and make sure that... Yeah. You've done yeah. this because this is this is going on the internet, and once it's on the internet, it's there forever. Forever. Yeah. It, I don't think it's quite hit me yet, but uh, I'm making my bed and I plan to sleep in it. Well, you're 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 doing the opposite. You're planning on not sleeping in that uh, bed. I'm trying to find another bed. No, just kidding. Oh man, wow. You're trying to what you're trying to do is you're trying to fall in love with yourself. Yeah. That sounds very narcissistic. No, it's, it's not. It's very millennial. Oh, is it? Well, oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like you just attacked my entire generation. I mean it actually quite literally, and that you spend all of your life with yourself, and cultivating a good relationship with yourself is more important than any relationship you'll ever have for the rest of your life, regardless of whether that's your parents, or a loved one, or your dog, or whatever. Because the person that you are with constantly, all the time, when you sleep, when you're awake, everything in between, is yourself. And learning to cultivate that good relationship with yourself isn't narcissistic. It's good mental health. Learning to fall in love with yourself is important. Learning to understand who you are is going to help every other relationship you have. Our mutual friend, Faith Sullivan, who is going to be on the podcast at some point. Fantastic. This is is going to incur a lot of anxiety on her part hearing it. She recommended a song to me recently by a band called Cozy, C-O-Z-Y. And the song is called Monotony, and I've been listening to it a lot, and it's great. And like the chorus is about learning to love, your, falling in love with yourself slowly, mm-hmm. and then not wanting to uh, sleep with monotony. 
Yep. Mm. It was fan- it's a fantastic song. Yeah. Cool. And I have an acknowledgement for Faith. She was one of my first teachers of mindfulness. I don't know if you knew that. Faith I did not know that. Yeah, Faith was there when I first started learning about mindfulness and practicing it. And she was an officer in the group that we would go every week and train together. Uh, and she would help teach some of the lessons, and I learned a lot from Faith. Yeah, cool. Yeah, she's an excellent person. We're going to have her on the podcast, whether she wants to or not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to Mindfulness of Doom. Here at Mindfulness of Doom, we don't have real sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor us, you can send us a message at mindfulnessofdoom at gmail.com. But in the meantime, we have real fake sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by... Anime and Video Games. Anime and Video Games. Keeping people out of relationships. This episode of Mindfulness of Doom is also brought to you by the internet. Once it's out there, it's there forever. And finally, this week's episode of Mindfulness of Doom is brought to you by Spicy Foods. Spicy Foods, making it burn on both ends. We invite you to like, subscribe, and rate our podcast on iTunes and wherever podcasts of real quality can be found. Have suggestions, music, or artwork for the show? Want to sponsor our podcast? Find our contact page and links to the items we talked about in this episode at www.mindfulnessofdoom.com. This podcast is recorded at the Center for Social Change in Miami, Florida. It is written, edited, and recorded by Brian Lemmerman and Corey Hardacre. Our music is by Pallet Town and can be found at soundcloud.com slash All poorly thought out opinions are ours. Nothing you hear in this podcast should be construed as professional medical advice. Go see a therapist, all of you. Well, that's the show, everybody. Thank you for listening. In today's episode, we had a very special cold open. If you would like to hear more of these cold opens, you can check them out on Same Old Channel. On YouTube, same old, one word, and channel, another word. There are two words in the name of the channel. We hope you enjoy watching this show on the same old channel, which is not this show, Mindfulness of Doom. But it is a show. It is a show. It is a show. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And if you enjoyed this show, you can find Mindfulness of Doom on Patreon. By going to www.patreon.com slash mindfulnessofdoom.